large thank you to everyone who has signed up for my monthly subscription already. I hope you're all loving the new moon horoscopes, the full moon reminders, and the extra astro content. It's been so amazing to be able to write about astrology and have you babes enjoy it, so thank you. And if you're like, hey, Delena, I want horoscopes and advice from your tarot cards, well, then go over to my website, moonmattersastrology.com, and sign up to become a moon member. I would love to be your personal astrologer. And another big thank you to everyone who's booked readings and tutoring with me. I've been having a blast getting to interact with you all one-on-one and just in a more intimate teaching space. I'm slowly working on expanding my hours of availability, so thank you babes in advance for just being patient while the new booking slots open up. I know a couple of you have been asking, hey, I don't see any availability, and that's because the calendar only books out to 30 days, and then it updates every Sunday, so new slots become available on Sundays, so that's the spiel with that. There is also one other offering that I have just recently rolled out, and that is a personal mythic poem based upon your natal chart. You can look at that on my website too, but basically that's just me writing a poem about your astrology. It's not so much a natal reading or an analysis as it is letting your chart speak to me intuitively and me turning it into a poem. It's a really cool offering for gifts, for even anniversaries or weddings, anything like that. I can do dates, I can do people, I can do what I can do at all. So go check that out if you're interested and there's more details on the website. Okay, so today's episode is going to be a cute one. A little while ago, I started toying with the idea about focusing on relational astrology, which means synastry and anything that has to do with love and romance. Relationships have always been such a huge focus of my life. I was definitely the girl who would ditch you for her boyfriend. You know, I know who I am and that is absolutely me to a T. My moon is in the seventh house. The ruler of my 10th is in the seventh house. So relationships, they're my passion. And having such a passion for relationships, it only makes sense that it would bleed into my work. So today we're going to begin an astrological series I'm going to be calling Love, Sex, and Eros. Throughout this series, we're going to explore what synastry is and how we can use it practically, all sorts of placements we should be looking at that inform us about attraction and love, and anything I feel important to mention when using astrology in the name of love. To begin our journey, we're going to start with one of my personal favorites when it comes to love and sex and astrology, and that is none other than Eros and Psyche. I'm going to be devoting this episode to going over the mythology of Eros and Psyche in depth. I want us to have a deep understanding of the myths of all the placements that we're going to be exploring. Unlike the traditional planets, a lot of the placements that I'll be talking about aren't forces we're consciously thinking about in our day-to-day life. They're more subtle, and unless we're consciously exploring them and being present with their energy, we can often overlook their beauty and attribute it elsewhere. A lot of the times we just think, you know, Venus is love and that's it, or Mars is our sex drive and attraction and that's it. And that's not the case. There are smaller placements. There's asteroids. There's other things that we need to be looking at when we're taking synastry as a big picture look, when we're really looking at synastry as a whole. You need to look at everything. So today we're going to learn who Eros and Psyche are, where they come from, their mythology together, how they influence us, and what we can do with the knowledge we gain from understanding them in the context of our own desires and soul development. 
In Greek mythology, Eros is the god of love and sex. His Roman counterpart is Cupid. Eros has two main different origin stories. The first and earlier of the two comes from the ancient Greek poet Hesiod. He wrote about Eros being the god of love and one of the primordial gods. Another even older source that mentioned Eros is Parmenides, who was a pre-Socratic philosopher. Parmenides actually believed Eros to be one of the first gods to ever come into existence. And there's another early Orphic belief that Eros wasn't primordial, but rather the child of Nyx, who was basically the personification of nighttime. Nyx was a goddess, but not really because Nyx is nighttime. The primordial gods are very interesting in the sense that they're not like goddesses and goddesses like Zeus and Aphrodite, but they are the embodiment of nighttime or the wind or, you know, things like that. In the Orphic belief, you know, Nyx laid this cosmic egg, which Eros was then born from. So basically, this older group of myths likes to say that Eros was one of the OG gods, one of the original. It's saying that love is a primordial force and that passion gives birth to life. Without love, there is no life, and I do really like that take on it. The other origin story of Eros comes later, and I think this is the more popular story of Eros, which is him being the son of Aphrodite and Ares, or Venus and Mars in Roman context. Now let's talk about the story of Eros and Psyche. Eros, or Cupid, is involved with a few different myths, but the one that's most notable is his love story between him and Psyche. The myth of Eros and Psyche really showcases why he's the god of love, sex, and passion. And as with all myths, there's a few different versions of the story, each with their own varying little details, but the overarching theme is still present. I'm going to tell the story the way that I have most often seen it told, and the one that I think gives the most astrological context as well. Eros is the son of Ares, the god of war, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty. Being the goddess of love and beauty doesn't mean you're all sugar spice and everything nice. The phrases, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, and all is fair in love and war, weren't created for no reason. Aphrodite had noticed that her devotees had been waning lately. There was something distracting them, something taking their attention away from her. But it wasn't just something, it was someone. Aphrodite soon learned about the maiden with such striking good looks that she rivaled the goddess herself. Men were falling at her feet, worshipping her, and foregoing their devotion to the actual goddess of love and beauty. This fair maiden's name was none other than Psyche. With Psyche's reputation growing, it soon began to threaten Aphrodite. An enraged Aphrodite sends her son, Eros, down to earth to put a curse on the soul of any and every man who dare worship or really even look at Psyche. Eros is a bit of a trickster in his own right, so he says sure, why not? He's all set to poison the souls of mortal men, but then he too lays his eyes upon Psyche and he is immediately taken by her. You could say that he was struck by one of his own arrows the moment he saw her. This changed everything. Eros was no longer on board to carry out his mother's wishes. Instead, he had to figure out a way to make Psyche his own. Since Eros is a god, he can enlist the help of other gods, which seems really helpful when you're trying to get the most desired creature in the world to notice you and love you. So Eros goes to Apollo and he's like, hey man, I really need you to do me a solid on this one. And Apollo was like, no worries, brother. 
Apollo soon delivers an oracle message to Psyche and her parents, saying that she's to marry a wicked beast whose face she may never see, and that she's to be left near Mount Olympus for him to find her and make her his bride, and no one else can be around. You just gotta leave her there, and then, you know, the beast will come and snatch her up at the end. Psyche's parents were devastated. They figured that since they had such a beautiful daughter, her fate would be much better than this. They could not believe that she was destined to marry a never-to-be-seen-by-the-light-of-day beast. But the prophecy was gospel, so they took their daughter to Mount Olympus and let her be taken by the anonymous beast. As the oracle foretold, she was whisked away in the night by a winged creature and brought to a palace. Much to Psyche's surprise, she found the palace to be quite stunning. There were invisible servants to fulfill her every whim, and she was surrounded by luxury. She had food and drink whenever she desired, but she was more often than not alone. The only time her husband visited was at night. Psyche was still unaware that she was married to a god, and she was forbidden to ever look upon her husband in the daytime. For a good long while, she was pretty much cool with that. He was nice, and he treated her beautifully. He was doting and passionate, but her loneliness in the daytime was starting to get the best of her. She pleaded with her husband to let her sisters come and visit. One day, Eros finally relented. He said that they could visit, but he warned that they would likely be her downfall. Psyche, just being excited that she could finally have visitors, said, oh my gosh, yes, this is great. So she invited her sisters to come visit her, and so she could just show them how she's living and just share her life with them finally. Like most sisters in fairy tales and myths, they're extremely envious as soon as they see the fact that she's living this luxurious life. It's very much the evil stepsister trope that is going on here. And they're so envious, in fact, that they decide to try to ruin Psyche's marriage. They tell her that her husband is a monster and he's not to be trusted. They harp on the fact that She's not even allowed to see his face and that he keeps her locked away in this beautiful palace with everything she could ever want and need. Now, Psyche's sisters don't know Eros was actually a god. They didn't know that he was obscuring his true form from Psyche, but they still use the whole you don't even know what he looks like ordeal to try to chip away at Psyche's happiness. They really tried to harp on that fact, which I kind of get, but at the same time, you know, Psyche was happy and she should have trusted her instinct. But in some tellings of the myth, the sisters even go as far to say that her husband will surely murder you and any children that you may have, so you better kill him before he kills you. After her sisters leave, she retires to bed with her husband. While Eros is fast asleep, Psyche is haunted by the words of her sisters. She thinks that it can't be true but the seeds of doubt have already been planted, and this is where the myths tend to differ the most. In one version, Psyche is said to take the stance that she will prove her sisters wrong, and she will look upon the face of her lover by candlelight and prove that he is no monster. And in the other version, the seeds of doubt planted by her sisters take root, and Psyche sets out not to only look at her husband, but to also kill him. And... The one where she's trying to kill him is the myth that I most often see and the one that I sort of lean into as far as significations go astrologically. But whichever version you choose to partake in, they end the same. Psyche approaches the bedside of her lover with a candle and a knife, depending on who you ask, to illuminate his face and finally bear witness to the beast that she married. When she brings the candle to his face, she sees not a beast, but the most beautiful creature she's ever laid eyes on. 
Struck by the beauty, passion, and desire exuding from the god before her, she accidentally drips candle wax onto Eros, and this startles him awake. But what startles him more is the betrayal of his lover. And this is where the real drama begins. Eros not only feels the sting of betrayal from the only thing he's ever loved, but he also sees her allegedly holding a knife. The shock and dismay of the situation causes Eros to take flight. Psyche, realizing her mistake, tries to cling to Eros mid-flight. She pleads for forgiveness and admits that he was right about her sister's corruption, and Eros does not care for these petty apologies. He shakes her off and he leaves her, and he vows that she will never see him again for this betrayal. Eros goes back to his mom, who's basically like, see, I told you she was common mortal trash, now go to your room and stay there forever. And then Psyche is left to wander the earth, trying to figure out how to restore the love she had been so foolish to break. Eros was licking his wounds, and Aphrodite was trying to figure out a way to make Psyche's existence a living hell. Aphrodite may have been annoyed with her son for marrying what in her eyes was her rival, but that's her baby boy, and she wasn't about to let Psyche go unpunished for hurting him. Psyche is filled with despair and sorrow over her lost love. Despite knowing how much her mother-in-law hated her, she was driven by her love to make things right. She approached Aphrodite and pleaded for a way to fix things between her and Eros. Now, just think about having to go to your mother-in-law and ask for forgiveness to get your husband back, let alone your mother-in-law be a literal goddess that's hated you since day one. Knife or not, I think Psyche was sorry. Aphrodite saw this as an opportunity to make life even harder still for Psyche. She was like, yeah, I'll talk to Eros for you, but only after you do these four teeny tiny little things for me. Which brings us to the impossible tasks or Psyche's hero's journey. The first task was to sort out a giant mound of grain into organized piles. And Aphrodite surely thinks that this will take her the rest of her life to do. There's no way that it can be done by a mortal. Psyche is doing her best, and she's really trying to sort this grain, and she's, you know, picking little seeds here and putting little pellets there, and she's getting really exasperated. But luckily for her, some ants walk by, and they see her struggling, and they help her out. The second task is to obtain a golden fleece from these magical golden mountain sheep. And apparently these things were violent and aggressive, so Aphrodite was probably hoping the sheep would kill Psyche. As Psyche was contemplating how to obtain the fleece without losing her life, a nearby river spirit gives her advice on the matter. She collects the fleece while the sheep are asleep and moves on to the next task. The third task is to bring a jug to the river that runs between the earth and the underworld and fill it with water. Obviously anything that has to do with the underworld is kind of perilous, And some myths say that there's dragons involved that make it hard for Psyche to fill the jug. But regardless of any obstacles that she faces, an eagle flies down, grabs the jug, and fills it for her. She returns to Aphrodite successful yet again. Remember when I said that anything having to do with the underworld is perilous? Well, that's exactly where Aphrodite sends Psyche next. Straight to the underworld. Literally straight to hell. Going to the underworld was a challenge even for some gods, let alone a mortal. But to gain back the love of her husband, Psyche was going to do anything. So she set out to the underworld to retrieve Persephone's eternal beauty potion. Some kind of beauty cream. They probably, I don't know if they have it at Ulta these days, but they may. (laughs) 
So Persephone's eternal beauty potion was what she was after. She braves the underworld, and she actually retrieves this potion of eternal beauty. She also thinks, you know what? I deserve a little bit of this potion since I'm the one who, you know, went to hell and got it. Plus, Aphrodite's a goddess. She doesn't need it at all. And I'm married to literally the most beautiful man I've ever met, and I gotta try to keep up. So she opens the box. She opens, you never open a box from a god, but you know, she opens the box. She wants the beauty cream. Well, when Psyche opened up the box, it wasn't a potion of beauty, but rather a potion of eternal sleep. In some myths, it is said that Morpheus even pops out. So Aphrodite hedged her bets that Psyche couldn't resist opening the box, and she set a trap for her. And yes, Psyche fell for the trap. She pretty much went into eternal sleep. Now, where was Eros through all this? At this point, Eros had finally decided to leave his room and quit sulking. Maybe he's thinking, you know, maybe knife or not, I might have went a little overboard, might have been a little dramatic. So he goes out to find Psyche. And when he does, boy, is he pissed. His mom further meddled into his affairs and it left the woman he loved in a death-like slumber. He takes action and shoots her with one of his arrows imbued with his power, the power of true love and passion. Once the arrow hits Psyche, her consciousness is restored. Eros said, come with me, we're going to make things right once and for all. Eros flies them to go see none other than Big Daddy Zeus. He pleads with Zeus and explains how he needs his marriage to Psyche to be legitimate and recognized among the gods, and she needs to be immortal with him. Zeus must have looked at the young couple with fondness for his own days of trickery and love, which is a story we'll get to later in this series because he granted Eros everything he asked for. They were married among the gods, and Psyche was named the goddess of the human soul. So the god of sex, love, and passion at last united with the beautiful goddess of the soul, together forever, as one. That's the myth of Eros and Psyche. I know it was a little bit long, but I think it's important to know these stories if we're going to really truly understand the significations of the placements. Plus, There's themes in the story that we've seen time and time again in modern day stories. Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, and Snow White. Each of these stories has parts that match up with the myth of Eros and Psyche. These themes stick around and keep being repackaged for us to consume because they speak to a deep part of our psyche and they ignite our passions. If we look at the myth as a whole, it's a blatant love story. It has all the makings of a modern day romantic comedy the scheming mother-in-law, the tragic mix-up that brings about a rift, the hero's journey to rectify the situation, and finally, the rejoining of the lovers. Eros and Psyche were obsessed with each other. Nothing was going to keep them apart. Eros embodies pure passion and Psyche is the soul. The two of them combined create our soul's desires. Eros is what we lust after and Psyche indicates our soul's growth. Now that we have a strong understanding of the background and myth of Eris and Psyche, let's talk about what they mean as far as astrological placements. Eris and Psyche are both asteroids. There is a placement called the Lot of Eros or the Part of Eros, but I am not talking about that. I am strictly talking about Eros the Asteroid. Eros is asteroid number 443 and Psyche is asteroid number 16. For those of you who are into numerology and tarot, that equates to Eros as justice and Psyche as the tower. Eros being justice is him holding her accountable for her actions. It's like, hey babe, I love you, 
but you were going to stab me with a knife. And I think you need to even the scales here a little bit before I can, you know, kiss and make up with you. And then you have Psyche having this dark night of the soul and having to go through her hero's journey to regain the trust of her lover. There's even a point in some myths that talk about Eris and Psyche where Psyche is said to want to throw herself off of a tower because she's so desperate and about to give up the chase for Eros because the tasks that Aphrodite have given her are so impossible and she feels despair and she doesn't know what to do and she's really going through the muck and she wants to throw herself off of a tower. It's also very interesting to me that for Eros's card being Justice, it matches up with Libra and Libra is ruled by Venus and it's just about the lovers and not the lovers, the tarot card, but it has much to do with balance and love and beauty and harmony. Symmetry is uh, linked to beauty. So there needed to be a balance struck between these two. They needed to really, again, even the scales before they could move forward together. Eros's orbit is mainly around Mars, and Psyche's orbit is between Mars and Jupiter. I find it really cute that Psyche has her orbit between both Mars and Jupiter, since it was Zeus who made her immortal and blessed their union as legitimate among the gods. So she's nestled safely between her husband and the king of the gods. And both of them having an orbit with Mars lines up perfectly with the signification of desire, passions, and the deep sexual energy they have for one another. Eros moves roughly one and a half degrees every two days, and Psyche moves about one degree over the span of five days. Psyche's orbit takes a lot longer, and she stays in a sign much longer than Eros does. Both of them can experience retrograde movement, which drastically changes their time in a sign. I've already alluded to the fact that Eros indicates our passion and desires, but let me be very clear. I'm mainly talking about sexual energy. Eros is our desires, yes, but those desires are within the realm of attraction and love, and it definitely can indicate our turn-ons and sexual expression. This is one of the big reasons Eros is so helpful in Sinistry. It can indicate exactly what it is about our partner that we're attracted to, or even why everything else might be so awesome about the relationship, but the sexual chemistry just isn't there. I will say that Eros does indicate passions in general, like a love of art and beauty. Creativity and joy can come from the same wellspring as erotic energy. It's really all the same, but when specifically using Eros and Sinistry, it becomes sexual in nature due to the blending of two people's desires. What is it that you crave about the other? What is it that lights you up and inspires you when you see someone you're attracted to? The best way I can describe Eros energy is this. Have you ever been driven to write poetry about someone, make a mixtape about them, or daydream about a future with them? That's Eros energy. The force that inspires you to be a better version of yourself for someone. That's Eros. The deep longing we feel after having to part with a lover we just spent all day with. That's Eros. Even the secret, unrequited crushes we feel that make us dress a little cuter or push us out of our comfort zone. That's Eros. So here's a quick list of key words for Eros significations. Love, passion, desire, erotic energy, primal force, sexual turn-ons, attraction, and how we pursue what we're attracted to. If Venus is foreplay and Mars is execution, then the son of Venus and Mars is the erotic liminal. 
It's the space right between excitation and explosion, the briefest moment of pleasure and the eternal desire of that pleasure. Symbols related to Eros are rabbits, a bow and arrow, hearts and wings. He's also been linked to roses, torches, and cherubs. Pretty much all of the Valentine's Day items that you see, those are Eros symbols. Those are Cupid, Eros, one and the same. Now let's talk about the significations of Psyche. When Zeus made Psyche a goddess, she became the goddess of the human soul. So when we look at Psyche in our birth charts, we're essentially looking at our soul's development. Psyche's role in the myth of her and Eros was a much more tumultuous part. She was the one who enacted the betrayal that divided the two. She was the one who had to take the hero's journey to bring the two back together. She was basically going through soul boot camp the entire time. She was pushed to her limits, but kept going regardless of her own fears. It was the power of love that pushed her through and transformed her soul. One of the main symbols used for Psyche is a butterfly, and I think that perfectly sums her up. There's a fragility to love that a lot of us are careless about when we first encounter it. Learning to love another person is one of the hardest things we go through as humans. Our souls are changed by the experience, whether for better or for worse. The growth that we experience through the love of another person can be awe-inspiring. Two souls dancing together, learning from each other, and growing in harmony with one another. You could say that the myth of Eros and Psyche is one that foretells the transformation of our souls through divine love. Psyche is emboldened by her love of Eros. She is made to be a better person. But that same love also drives her to the brink. She nearly throws herself off a tower and just barely escapes eternal sleep. Our Psyche placement shows us both of those things. The things that embolden us and push us to be better but also the things that test us the most and that may reveal the darkness before we receive the light. Just like Eros, Psyche is a great placement for synastry. It shows us where our soul converges with the soul of another. It tells us what soul level work is required for this relationship to take flight. It's the work you two as a couple must do in order to transform and be ready to receive divine love. On its own, Psyche tells us the work we need to do in order to blossom. In Sinistry, it tells us the work we need to do to truly experience Eros. Because just like in the myth, you can have Eros with someone and not really realize it and take it for granted. Working with our Psyche placement allows us to actualize Eros in our relationship and within ourselves. So let's distill Psyche down into some key words. Soul, home of the soul. Hardship, atonement, transformation, spiritual development, soul growth, eternal and everlasting. Well, my sweet babes, that's the story of Eris and Psyche and their significations astrologically. In the next episode, we're going to be exploring how Eris and Psyche express themselves through each of the 12 zodiac signs. If you want more moon content before the next episode, you can sign up to become a moon member and receive monthly horoscopes, full moon reminders, retrograde guides, and more on my website, moonmattersastrology.com. And if you want to just check out what I'm doing on Instagram, head on over to Moon Matters Official. I will see all you babes later.